Well, the first thing is the lever, it's only 
we're afraid or taking shelter. We can't increase them by taking vitamins. It's okay with my vitamins. But your days are ordained by the life giver, your creator. Psalm 139.16. This is God's divine prerogative to give and he takes life. Almost like everything else in this life, we tend to interpret death in an unlimited, fallen, sinful, self-absorbed perspective. It's like very few of us think about death as a limit. If you really believe that life is better than life, better than life. Mm-hmm. we won't be counter in the world. We won't be afraid. We won't go out and live your faith. I was going to talk about the death of his children. I remember something my father's friend wrote in one of the little letters the other day in the Bible class. Precious in the soil of the Lord is what? Yeah, what? The death of his godliness. Amen? So God's into it. God's into it. Good time. So I hope we're thinking like this with respect to death. Steve Saint again, he writes this. We want every chapter to seem good to us, right? In our, in our own self-absorbed thinking, when God promises only that in the last chapter will He make sense of all of the other chapters, right? Why are we, why are we quizzing God? We don't really want to understand all that's going on. What are we supposed to? What are we supposed to do? Believe, trust in God. That's what we're. That's what Christians are promised to do. Steve Sain is right. God never promised to run through the park with a big pair of balloons and always wonder what the stomach's going to He doesn't promise that. He never promises that. He never promises a happily ever after temporal life. If we get on board, there's another church history we understand that. They weren't in it for their temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. They were in it because they loved God. They, they were in it because Psalm 63.3 was, was, was beating in their heart. His loving kindness is better than what to me. This is Christianity. Now, there's a whole lot of things we could say. But to me, this is it. This is it. We know, like, like God's loving kindness is born. So this is all for you. We're going to finish it today. We've seen this one. This is the substance of those hopeful. In order to find who it says, the one that goes and dies the substance of things hopeful, God is the order to find who it says. We've seen this six that we don't think. It is impossible to please God. Why do you think God is going to push you into, into situations that require you to cry out to Him? Why do you think that is? Because faith pleases God. And faith grows you up. And faith is a test. Will you exercise faith in the trial? Faith is a test. Do you belong to Him or not? It's what the test is for. God already knows. Well, you don't know. But you find out in the test. You find out. In the trial. He's always going to push us in that 
direction. Yeah, so uh, pickles went wrong. Guys are standing pickets. Kept during this day, during this is 16 nude illustrations. And then he mentions the prophets, which is another 15 or 16 guys. So we got 32 examples here of what faith looks like. And so we can test ourselves. Is this. Let's on verses 7 through 12. I'm still over here. Hebrews 11. But God initiates faith with his word. He warned He called Abraham and he promised, saying, Verses 13 and 19, we saw that if faith is real, all faith with an inward response and ultimately with an outer response. It all spills out of the life. We saw that quite clearly. It spills out. And God says it's an easy thing. And when people live like that, they're not ashamed to be called by God. I love that. Last week we saw in verses 23 to 29, and biblical saving faith, it makes hard decisions. It does hard things. We saw this in the life of Moses. God sent him down to stand in front of the probably most powerful man in the world with a stick in his hand. Would you do it? Would you do it? Your faith engages a heart obedience. That's what it does. This week we will see in verses 30 to 38, you heard the text read that genuine faith knows God is beautiful enough, desirable enough, compelling enough to not only live for, but what? To do for. That's what we'll see in the pages. Scripture. We are a bigger political than her, I think, for the most part. I don't know what we are. But it's true, isn't it? Even the most superficial rule of the Bible discredits the counterfeit health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. If we read our Bibles and we understand church history, we understand it's garbage. We, we understand it's demonic. We understand it's a lie from hell. That's what we understand. Because if we read Hebrews 11, we see that sometimes God's people exercise true believing, trusting, obeying faith, and they are murdered for it. And they are tortured for it. They're thrown in two for it. Well, where's the naming and claiming on that? You know, if you read your Bible, the false teachings are manifest. You'll just immediately know that guy's a joke. That guy's a joke. She's certainly a joke. You just know if you read your Bible. Again, Psalm 63, 3, because your love and kindness is better than life, and your lips will praise you, and your life will too. Right? And so will my death. I will look death in the face with a smile, Right? Oh, death, where is your still? To live is Christ, we tell you. To die is gain. We understand this. We know this. We believe this. We don't have any doubt about it. Real Christians love this life. We're the happiest people on the planet. 
But death looks pretty good too. If we know the living God. One theologian said it like this. He who has God and everything else in the world has no more than he who has God only. Don't you love that? I want to read it to you again. He who has God and everything else in the world has no more than he who has God only. God is the ultimate reward. He is the satisfier of the Savior. Christians don't follow Christ for temporal health, wealth, or prosperity. That's it's just too small for us. We can't live for that. I can't live for that. I can't live for that. It's boring. It's a nice blessing, but I can't give my soul to it. I'm thankful for the blessing, but I can't, I can't feel God for blessings. I feel God for God. You know, one of our, we were Zooming yesterday with the Europeans. She sometimes has this way of just crystallizing. She, she says, you know, you just get to the point where you realize God's God and you bow. You bow with your life. You bow. It's not some perfunctory thing I do on Sunday morning. All of my life is bowing. It's what these guys do. Because God satisfies them. Let's pick up here, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish alone uh, with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies. In peace. Here God reports the faith of the Israelites, Jews, and Israel, and Jericho. Real faith begets courage. Real faith begets courage. We stand in the world, we don't fall in the world, right? Jericho was a formidable obstacle. God told his people, I got this one. All you got to do is march around. Give some trumpets and shout. Let me tell you. So, not an awe-inspiring military plan. It reminds me of the plan that he gave to Gideon, right? Outnumbered for at least 450 to one. All they have is torches and, 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 and pitchers and trumpets. And these, these soldiers are going to leave. They have swords and knives and spears, right? Does God need 300 guns with torches, pitchers, and trumpets? Does God need the Jews to march around and blow trumpets and shout? What's this about? God doesn't need this. We need this. We need to show up in faith. It's what they do. They have no idea what God's going to do. The Jews have to show up and march around Jericho, not because it will bring the walls down, but because God will. It's not about what God needs, it's about what you and I need. You got to show up when God calls you to show up. Even if it doesn't make any sense to you, right? <laughs> His thoughts are infinitely above 
again. It is impossible to please God without courage. It is impossible to walk with God. You won't. You won't if you don't believe he's good, if you don't believe he's competent, if you don't believe he's a famous people. God gives what he asks, right? He gives what he asks. Who gives first? Ephesians 2, 8. And he is an omnipotent object of that faith. So yes, of course. I can't show up. Because God never doesn't show up. He always shows up. <laughs> well, that's what we're seeing in Hebrews 11. Thy faith, giving the doors of the victory, thy faith, the walls of Jericho. We see that by faith, Rahab and Rahab took part in victory, verse 31. She protected the Jewish spies. You have to love this about God. There's a prostitute in Hebrews 11. This is how far a little faith, a little courage, is showing up with protecting you guys upon us. Huh? I love this. I love this about God. <laughs> you know, you got a, you got a patriarch and he was and a prostitute. Now, what else do you know about this prostitute? Oh, there she is. And of course, we all understand the spiritual, the spiritual warfare. We're all harlots, right? We're all spiritual prostitutes. We understand something more than we want God. It's something in our life we're going to say. I'm not sure a spiritual harlot, a spiritual prostitute. Right here, between the world of Venus and the world of the great, great, great mother of King David. This is what I'm reaching. <laughs> a little faith and a little courage and a little showing up. Listen, we run into a lot of folks and I think, oh, this looks, I'm just that. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? You can do whatever he calls you to do. He wants you there. And give you all the resources. I almost entitled the sermon an exercise faith an exercise faith that's what we're talking about Hebrews 11 this is not academic it's not academic some theological you know idea that I can trust God no, we live the fact that we can trust God. Verses 32 to 35. What more shall I say? Time will fail me, of course, if I try to 
talk to you about all these guys, verse 33. By faith, they, listen to this, this list, they conquered kingdoms, they performed acts of righteousness, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness uh, were made strong, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. The first part there of verse 35. So, we don't have time to talk about all these guys. Either. So, we're going to just take a look at uh, one or two of them. But I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to go into this with this thought. In verses 32 to 34, we see how faith unleashes the power of God as God in His perfect sovereign wisdom and purpose miraculously intervenes for His people to deliver them and to give them victory. So God is illustrating this verse. And in a few moments we'll watch Him illustrate defeat and what He's doing. So by faith, and the power of God, they conquered, they, they obtained promises, and they lived that way. You know, you can obtain a promise too. You're probably not going to, you know, shut the mouths of lions or quench the power of fire. But you can obtain promises. They are available to every one of us. They can obtain promises, right? They can live. They spoke words of the soul, they became mighty in war. Their lives and deeds were a testament to the faithfulness of Yahweh. Supposed to do. Well, we, most of, or hardly any of these things, but we can't obtain promises. We can do that. We do that. We do that. God can be trusted. He's a promise keeper. So we, we, we see this in our lives. We hear and we feel it. The reality of the power of God. Let's put David under the crown. We're going to tell the story. Uh, he showed up, didn't he? You guys know the story. Uh, 1 Samuel 17. The whole Goliath thing. And he was like 10 foot tall. Uh, 125 pounds of armor. His spear weighed 30 pounds. 1 Samuel 17, 11. Tells us, King Solomon, I'm the only visual of this man in the plane. And here's this boy. <laughs> <laughs> who is this uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of my God? Amen? Let me know if you're fighting the king of hell. I'm fighting. I'm good. <laughs> this boy faced this, this armor plated giant with a slingshot. And David said to the Lord, I told you in the name of the Lord. The God of Israel, who we taught to this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will remove your head. Where does he get this confidence? Where's Armor? You know, he's had that whole bear and lion thing, right? He, he, he did the bear and lion thing. Minor problem. Goliath's another minor problem, right? I will strike you down, and I will remove your head. And why does he do it? And I love this too, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, right? And this is why you and I live the way we live, that all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. 
My household will know. My workplace will know. My neighborhood will know. My church will know. Everyone in my orbit will know. So, the Holy Spirit is going to turn a corner on us in verse 35b and following. So that we have no misconceptions about the life of faith, that we don't fall for the stupidity of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We don't come under the influence of some lightweight negative planet. God in his perfect wisdom, if we just, if we just read a few verses, God in his perfect wisdom, we read, we read some does not always deliver his people in a temporal sense. This is not his purpose. He's never promised this to universally deliver in every type of circumstance. For example, for your missionaries, educated, trained, motivated, hacked to death in Ecuador. So there's a profoundly important lesson for us here in light of the superficiality that permeates the modern church. Right? So, as we begin to look at the sufferings of verses 35b to 38, we will see that they come. How do they come? Just like the victors came, they came by faith. The temporal defeats came by faith. Just like the victors came. And this is evident throughout the text. The sufferings uh, didn't come from the life of faith because of injury. We can see it there in verse 33. By faith. We, we see the victors and it's out of faith. By faith, we, we go into the, we, we go into the, the, uh, the trials and, and the loss and, and the torture. Let me just read the text. I'm going to pick up here at 35b. Others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These sufferings came by faith. There's no break from verse 33. With all the victory and all the temporal loss, there's no break. It's all by faith. This is one thing. We need to see. So, by faith, victory, and 33 and 34, and by faith, suffering and death, 35 to 38. The suffering was by faith. Look at verse 39. And all of these, all of them, the victors and those who, who had attempted to see, all of them, all of them gained approval through their faith. And there's this explicit contrast in verses 34 and 37. You can't miss it here. By faith, so the spirit went over the sword, 
Near the edge of the sword, it's just right there. I'm talking about in a temporal sense. Are, are we Christian enough to explain it to our families and, and, and friends? Are we Christian enough to say, listen, man, it's serious business to walk with Yahweh. Don't, don't go to him in any superficial way. It's serious business. It's serious business. It's worship or flee, right? <laughs> it's worship or flee. With... God of the Bible. So we need to see this and this incarnate this. The suffering, misery, torture, imprisonments, and death were not owing to God's disapproval. They were the sovereign purpose of God. And I, I, I'll venture to say, I've, I've met a thousand or more Christians in the church in the line. I'll venture to say there's a very small percentage of those sitting in your average church who can talk like that. The pulpits just don't teach them, right? They just don't teach them. And apparently, many folks are, you know, not opening their Bible and connecting the dots. Sometimes it's hard to be a Christian. We talked about it the last couple of weeks. That's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And if your faith is all, you know, a little through the book with a bouquet of balloons all the time, and always keep pushing the envelope. Where's God testing you to push the envelope of obedience? You can't sit down. You're not supposed to sit down. Christians don't sit down. We're pushing the envelope. We're making ourselves nervous. We're spilling ourselves a little bit. My God's God. Right? I'm afraid at all. So God in his perfect wisdom decided to lead it to deliver his people through suffering and lead to sustain in the midst of suffering. This is God's purpose. This is basic. It should be basic Christianity, but it's not. So unknown secret. So we all need to see this. Verses 33 to 34. I want you to, I want you to listen to me. In the faith of his people, God displayed his raw power to both his people and the world to physically deliver them. In verses 35 to 38, in the faith of his people, God displayed his utter sufficiency to both his people and to the world in that he spiritually satisfies the hearts and mind of his people who are under severe duress. They don't need health, wealth, and prosperity. All they need is God. Oh, they God. He's God, right? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain, and his loving kindness is better than life itself. We're doing math. We're doing calculus. We get it. We understand it. We connected all the dots. This is not a push for us. If we let our Bibles. Verses 35 to 38, we see how God unleashes the power of God 
as God in his perfect sovereign wisdom miraculously sustains his people in terrible suffering. I saw it last week, I think. I don't think Stephen felt one stone. I mean, we know that, that God opened the heavens and he saw Jesus Christ, nor his sitting on his throne, stand and receive his first martyr, right? I don't think he felt one stone. Maybe he did. Does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. God's my reward. Do the worst. Do the worst. Listen, I don't know if I'll live to see it, but some of us in here are young enough. There'll be people coming to you and telling you, you can't teach that, you can't say that, you can't worship that God. For some of you young people, it's probably going to be a reality for some of you. By faith in the prayer of God, here, verses 35 and 38, they endured affliction and treatment, destitution, torture, scourgings, mocking, chains, and then sown into. Their sufferings are a mighty testament to the reality and power of God. God was all they needed in the moment. And what I want you to see, this is, a, this is possibly and likely and probably way more powerful than if God simply uses his raw power to deliver. Which is always at his disposal. But he doesn't use his raw power to deliver. He uses his beauty, you know, to fill the heart and soul of the murder. Some of them martyred in the, in the Middle Ages. And you, 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 some of these guys are being burned and they're singing. I got a nice couch, a nice wife, a nice phone. And it's all good. Got a big screen. Didn't think I'd ever have a big screen. You know, in Italy, we never had one. A big screen. Man. I love that God is calling us to some things here. God is calling us to some things. Well, you're a pastor, you're a missionary, blah, blah, blah. Well, so are you. In a non-vocational sense. You're a pastor every day in your home. You're a pastor every day at work. You're listening every day in your neighborhood. This is powerful. God satisfies his people in the truth. That is what they believe in the moment of torture. They don't even get rid of it. It's not what they believe. They believe that God is satisfaction enough. Do the worst. We think the ones that God is better than the miracle of escape. Amen? Escape's great. Okay, we'll take it. If that's your sovereign plan, I'll take escape. But if it's not escape, I'm the light of who you are. His captivated beauty is on display in the lives of those who suffer defeat. There is a shadow that God is serving 
They all have parasols, but they all have a pair of restrictions on this life. This is the testimony of the biblical faith. This is what they are saying to us. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Look at Hebrews, this is God's word. This is God's matter. If I hear the word, I'm going to write it on it. For days and days and days. I'm going to be, you know, working on my house, no doubt. But what does God do? What does he do? Tell me what he does. He worships God. The same faith was this about God. He was beautiful enough to be similar to And I just want to say if you don't know that you don't want to do, you don't want to do in the scriptures, you don't want to do in the face, you don't want to do in the prayer closet, you know the gifts of God. And you know. You know, you've got to be ready when the test comes. You gotta be ready. You gotta, if you're not ready, you're gonna fall. You're going to be ready when the test comes, whatever your test might be. Of course, I stole this from God, I said a lot, but I, I just stole it from him. I want to give him credit. Don't think about it. God is better than anything this life can give, and God is better than anything death can take. Okay, the living life of sin. All of us are going to be limited. That's the right I'm going to read to you. But here's the rule. For the very dear love of Christ, we've got to settle this in our heart. It's already been settled. It's past and gone. It's already been settled. I woke up last night, I kept waking up when somebody read it. And it's on talk. And I don't know, that's a section, I don't know what's in it. It was like the whole sports thing. Hey, come on, man. This is what I'm saying. We've done it to the action. In heart. Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to him, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. And even his own life, he cannot be a disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross, and all that's to death. And Solomon cannot be a disciple. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, when Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to become a follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and reference to death. And Solomon, for whoever wants to save his life, loses it, but whoever loses his life because of him shall find it. This is what we're talking about. It's already a done deal in my heart. It's all honored, I'm already honored. And the way Paul says it, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. The martyrdom has happened at conversion. A death has to happen. Before they leave. I'm a 15th Hospital Year. A couple of weeks ago, nobody could believe I was a preacher. <laughs> now I become a preacher until I was 42, so I can barely do it myself sometimes. 
so this is powerful. This is powerful. So the inner space saint story. Some of you know how God used the martyrdom of his father and those missionaries. Steve Saint's aunt, Rachel, and Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, ultimately lived with the Arca Indians and they evangelized them. Missionary applications greatly increased. Thousands of missionaries named the martyrdom of those five men as the event God used to move their hearts to become missionaries. Thousands of people were reached. Do you think God might be doing something bigger than you? Rather you? Do you have power to go with him? Is that how things come? Mikael was one of the uncles who was in on the killing. He ultimately became, and this is astonishing, ultimately became the adopted grandfather of Steve Saint's grandchildren. They call him Pop. Steve Saint has lived this. He watched God do these things. He's had a front row seat. All that God was doing in the martyrdom of his dad was of man. He says, countless lives have been impacted. He says, don't tell me God wasn't sovereign in the death of my dad. He says, if I had to do it over again, I would not change a thing. This is how real faith lives and talks. You know that old handy tapestry illustration, right? God's creating a masterpiece. You ever seen down the eighth of a tapestry? Right? That's, it looks like chaos. It just looks like chaos. And we're seeing it from underneath. And God's making a masterpiece. The missionaries are hacked to death. It's part of the masterpiece. It's part of the masterpiece. Every true believer understands Paul's words in Philippians 1, 21, which is really the New Testament, New Testament equivalent of Psalm 63, 3. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And listen, I want to drive that point home to you. If you don't know that that's real, again, you got work to do. I can't make it real for you. I can't preach it real for you. And I'm going to close with another popular quote. I love this quote. I think it's in two of my books. It's like, listen to this, listen to this. Faith is utterly in love with God and all that God will be for us beyond the grave. You know, we're looking past, we're looking, we're looking through, right? We're looking through. We see. We see invisible things, as one of the Puritans says. We see. We see the new heaven and new earth. It's real. We see beyond the grave. Piper continuing. Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than job, more than money, more than dream houses, more than retirement, more than comfort, more than security. Faith says whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. Yes, this is Christianity. This is what it looks like. 
Beloved, I, I just want to exhort you to go on with God. Just go on with God. Where all of these things are real, this Hebrews 11 stuff is real for you. It's real. You've done the calculus in your heart, right? The, we live in Arkansas. The martyrdom is probably not going to come, but you've already been martyred. Jim Albright, the old one's gone. It was a joke. He was wretched. He's gone. And now he preaches the gospel. Biblical Christianity believes and lives. Psalm 63.3 Lord God, your loving kindness, it's better than life. Let's pray together.